because it's so cold outside. I went to the local Goodwill. I picked up the cleanest looking shoes they had. <laughs> and we popped them on the baby. Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 46. Today we've got a guest interview with Jessica Riley, who was an assistant teacher for 12 years in a Head Start childcare center, working with six-week-olds up through four-year-olds. And full disclosure, Jessica is my sister. Now, long-term listeners of the podcast may be saying, well, haven't we already heard an interview with your sister in the very first episode? But nay, nay, that was my other sister, Paige. Uh, This is a totally different sister, Jessie, and she has a huge amount of experience working with kids, and she has her own kid, so she's like a walking encyclopedia of kid-related child-rearing stuff. And uh, we've got a great conversation with her coming up. And that was done without me, due to some sound technical difficulties. Yes. So uh, Mark sent in some questions. I asked those questions, uh, but it is a mono imano between me and my sister and uh yeah we will that's already done and recorded peek behind the curtain i <laughs> i can confidently say it's a good conversation because it's already happened and uh, we're just going to tack that on as our segment today but fear not we've got all of our regular updates to get through so mark hmm. update us on coda coon coda is almost eight months now I think by the time this comes out, he'll be a few days away from eight months, and he's doing pretty good. We got a couple things. First, he's mostly a crawler now. Oh, wow. Yeah, this little dude is moving around the floor in his own way, but pretty well. (laughs) I wouldn't call it a full crawl. It's more of like sometimes a floor swim that Mm -hmm. gets traction. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So he's crawling to the beat of his own drummer. Basically, it's more like a, a crawl waddle. He'll go side to side and slowly shift his body up. But he's moving his hands and he's doing that. It's just he hasn't got the coordination of, of hands and feet yet. Yeah, well, that's cool that he's mobile and he's getting around the floor. Yeah, he's pretty mobile and he's quick. You just turn your back in a second and suddenly he's rolled or waddled somewhere else and you're just like, Jesus, dude. When we put Nico on the floor like that, he kind of, uh, if you look away for about two minutes and then look back, you'll notice that he's like nine inches from where he was before. <laughs> yeah. You'll be like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then eventually he'll be off the mat that he was on. But it's unclear how he's making these moves. It's just, uh, it's a glacial pace. Uh, but he can roll, he can scoot in ways but it's not a traditional crawl for sure yeah yeah i think that takes a while yeah i don't know if nico will ever be a traditional crawler or if he'll just start standing and walking around but Mm. uh, i bet coda is on his way within a couple of weeks to be in like a full tilt crawler oh yeah i think so he's real motivated to move aside from that we have another tooth partially popping out Mm -hmm. so we've got a two tooth boy on a bad bad update is he's kind of had like this weird diarrhea for like a week and a half now and we have like no idea why we took him to the doctor mm-hmm. doctors ran tests on the poop and they're like oh it all looks good but he's still doing it they gave him some medicine like i think this was monday now so it's been like four or five days and no improvement the medicine they gave does not work 
interesting. Yeah. So it's uh, it's actual Japanese medicine. We can verify that. Yeah. Um, so probably weak. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a bit weak. <laughs> I guess anything that a baby takes anywhere around the world is not going to be too strong. Right. That's shocking. And even despite eating more solid foods, he's still having a liquidy poo. Yeah, we're not sure. We're still waiting on another set of tests that I guess they sent away for. They couldn't mm -hmm. do those in the doctor's office. So maybe they'll come back to us with something more concrete, I guess. In the meantime, we've been like trying different like types of food. Maybe Moe's been making a lot of the food at home. So we tried like switching it up a little bit, maybe just doing like the pre-made stuff you get at the stores. But doesn't doesn't seem to matter everything we give him more food less food different food it's all kind of coming out the same way yeah that's a total mystery um yeah this is a little teaser for the um interview with jesse uh but we asked this question to her and you know she's seen hundreds of kids over the years mm. and changed i don't know billions of diapers <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if we can verify that math a brazilian diapers <laughs> brazilian a Brazilian, it's just a type of person. Um, she's changed a Brazilian's diaper. And um, yeah, so uh, she she weighs in. But I think uh, the long and short of her answer and what I kind of think is like, there's just so much mysterious like mm. input to a kid. And then they're also coming online with their allergies. Uh, right. Again, spoiler alert, Jessica's going to talk about like the difference between an intolerance and an allergy. Mm. And so uh, kids are developing these and then like, um, you know, showing evidence of these as the months go by. So it may be that something just came online in them. I don't know. Or you've like yeah. combined two ingredients that were never combined before, but it's impossible to figure out. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of variables. Yeah, but that's a tough one. Is it affecting his mood at all or is he the same old Coda? No, that's the thing. Like uh, he's pretty happy kid all the time. No fussing when it happens, no crying, no pain. He just kind of calms down for a second, gets serious, does his business, and goes back to laughing or whatever he was doing. It's a double-edged sword. It's bittersweet mm. when the kid gets the um, the solid poos every single day because <laughs> the solid poo means that you'll never have a blowout in the diaper right? because it's solid, so it's not going to go like splashing out of both legs on the top. Right. Um, but then it full on is just human poop at that point. Yeah. It's not a baby's poop any longer. You're just dealing with human poop. You're and dealing with stinky. Yeah. It's stinky no poop. fun. But I miss that because that's like a solid like once, maybe twice a day poop. Yeah. And so you can kind of say like, okay, I've, I've changed my poop diaper for the day. Yeah. But with this dude now, it's like maybe six plus times a day. Oh. you're having to do this and you're just like you hear it come out of him and you're just like oh, <laughs> oh man dude again and then yesterday it happened like three times when i was holding him in the evening so i'd like <laughs> hold him we're watching tv i hear the sound i'm like oh, okay let's go change you we do it come back 10 minutes later he does it again <laughs> and then and like an hour later he does it again i'm still holding him I'm just like dude stop <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, not to give away too much, but I had a similar problem a few weeks ago, and so maybe we can talk about my causes and effects uh, okay. off air. We'll do that off air. Sounds good. Uh, best of luck to dear sweet Coda. 
and yes. diarrhea troubles in the seventh month. Thank you. But that is all my updates. So whatever you've got for us now. Well, the big Nico firsts this uh, two-week period, this uh, fortnight, he began drinking from a straw. And that Ooh. was pretty big. Nice. It's interesting because you present a kid with a straw and you know it's that kind of like baby straw that's really thick plastic and it's mm. a lot larger diameter than a regular old drinking straw so he chews on it you know you put it in his mouth and he just chews on it but then eventually he just got the idea to like suck on the straw and water came out of it and he was like wow. oh i get it so now still you know he's he's drunk from the straw four or five times, but he'll still chew on it for a bit. And then he'll be like, Oh, I know what to do here. And then he can just drink right out of a straw. Wow. That's good. Uh, yeah. It's amazing to me. I've said this many times before, but that kids like, um, you know, the first time you try to spoon feed a baby, it's like, how's this going to work? This baby doesn't know anything about spoons. And <laughs> he puts the spoon to his mouth and he opens his mouth, eats the food off the spoon, chews it up, swallows it like he's 35 yeah. years old. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> like the, the kids just know how to do some stuff. And uh, the straw thing, I guess they have experience sucking and, you know, from bottles and uh, mm. like breast milk and everything. And then they're like, well, I, you know, either chew on stuff or I suck on stuff. So I'll just try the <laughs> other one. And eventually they'll just drink out of the straw and mm. it works. So that was exciting for us. Nice. Uh, we took Nico to his first parade. This was the Christmas parade and um, it was really fun. It was wow. uh, in our local hometown here there were you know 80 90 floats that went by a lot of them were maybe not a float but just like a big truck with a grinch standing in the back of it um <laughs> holding a beer yeah holding a beer. he's the grinch <laughs> after all uh he plays by nobody's rules but his own um there were some marching bands uh a lot of like you know garbage trucks with christmas lights uh -huh. on them and that kind of stuff which is really cool to see it was about an hour and it, the temperature was about freezing. It was like very oh, wow. cold out. So outfitting the child for this, we went with a like onesie, like, you know, footy pajama style. Hmm. And then on, on top of that, we put a, another onesie and then we put him <laughs> in the Ergo baby strapped to my wife for the shared body heat. And my wife wore a large jacket and buttoned the jacket up outside the baby. Wow. Um, plus the baby had a, a sock cap and, um, he was like, he had shoes on him. He was fully outfitted. So uh, he kept him warm and he watched everything in the parade for an hour. He sat on the side of the road and just left to right. That's a lot to take in. I think it was good, constant entertainment for him. Yeah. Just something slowly going by and he could watch it and then get a little breather and then watch the next thing slowly go by. Mm. And uh, something that I forgot to mention on the list that I was making earlier, but um, I let it slip there. He's wearing shoes, my friend. Oh, and not like falling off his feet. Yeah, they're um, Velcro. Uh, they strap right in. It was in his ninth month he wore a shoe for the first time. Finally got him shoes. We finally got him some shoes, <laughs> and he's taken to them. He's fine. It's m more a matter of temperature because it's so cold outside. We want to, like, you know, add every layer we can. So mm. we thought, put some shoes on instead of just the sock feet. Mm. Uh, that's what did it for us. And um, I went to the local Goodwill. I picked up the cleanest looking shoes they had. <laughs> we popped them on the baby. I got a couple of pairs, actually, for three bucks. Nice. Together. That's a good find. Yeah, for sure. And then he was wearing his fancy new shoes from Goodwill. And uh, 
I brought them over to my sister and brother-in-law's house and they were like, are those stride rights? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I was like, I have actually no idea. They were at Goodwill and they were relatively clean. So I bought them and uh, they were like, oh yeah, yeah, those are stride rights. And then I looked closely and there was like an SR logo. And they said, huh. one of our other cousins bought uh, some stride rights for their kid and they were 50 bucks. Wow. And I was like, well, these were a dollar fifty. I was very pleased to find him so cheap, and uh, I'll do that for the rest of his natural life. It's yeah, be all good. It'll work. be it'll be more difficult here, but I'm sure you'll find something. Yeah, I'll figure out a way. Uh, then the other update is uh, Nico got his first tattoo. Wow, about time! It's about time. <laughs> There's no laws here. It's the Wild West. Uh, no, we were in a Mexican restaurant at the counter, and there were like those little machines that sell gumballs and little toys and stuff. And they had the classic like press-on tattoo machines. Mm. So we put in our seventy-five cents, and we got tattoos, and uh, we applied them to our babies, or at least I applied <laughs> mine to my baby. Um, put it right on his chest. Yep. Because it was kind of a, a biggish tattoo, so it wasn't going to like fit on his arm or anything. Mm. And uh, he's very manly with it. I mean, a tattoo across <laughs> the chest is quite manly. So it's uh, it's cool. It's a couple of narwhals, and I think they're like blowing some bubbles, and the bubbles are hearts. <laughs> Nothing manlier. <laughs> well, I don't, know. I don't know. The heart's blue, for one thing. So pretty masculine, uh, but it looks cool and it's very funny. And it was also kind of an experiment because he's had some little skin breakouts here and there. Uh, so I thought, I wonder if he can handle this tattoo or if it's going to cause any trouble. It would just, you know, right on the fence. So we tried it and he was totally fine. Uh, so that was like one less thing to worry about that his skin's not that sensitive. So nice. a little bit nice. of experimentation in the back of my mind too. I never thought about it before, but do they have those in Japan? I've heard that they do. I've never seen them, but I asked my wife when I got this one if they have them, and she said yes. So, huh? I'm gonna have to go look for some. Probably got them at Village Vanguard or something. They may. Um, and of course, in America, it's like you press it on the skin, and then you put a wet washcloth over it for 30 yeah. seconds, and then it applies to the skin, and it lasts for days. Like you can yeah. keep it on for a week if you don't really scrub it. So, uh, in Japan, I bet they're more stickery. I don't know. Uh, That's maybe just my guess. We'll grab some and bring them back with you. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll have to stock up while I'm here. Sell those for a profit <laughs> to the Yakuza and their newborns. You know, I was thinking about this actually the other day. like, Because you and I both have a, have a couple tattoos in various parts of our body. So it's difficult to hide most days, especially summertime. And our kids are going to grow up seeing them all the time. And then they're going to go out in Japan and interact with people probably at onsens and stuff where they see signs that say no tattoos mm -hmm. and get an association like, Oh, tattoos are bad, but my dad has tattoos. Yeah. And so I'm curious like how this is going to play out. I guess I have no idea. I'm just curious. Yeah. That's a weird one. Um, it'll happen eventually. And it's odd because the answer that I want to give is, to say like, well, in Japan, some things that are broadly prejudicial are still allowed to continue, you know, and <laughs> my answer naturally would be kind of bashing the country. But right. then I feel like because it is just flatly prejudicial, it's like there's mm. no conclusion you can draw in 2022 from someone who has a tattoo. Like I've, I've got tattoos. Guess what? I'm not in the Yakuza. So right. I don't know how that 
jibes with your whole onsen policy. But anyway, so uh, it's it's pure prejudice. They're making a judgment, you know, before they know anything about you. But then you also don't want to like arm your kid with a message like that, right? Send him out into the world. So I'll have to temper those things. I think as time goes by um, and those questions come up. I'm also curious why is it just an onsen? Like if you think about it. An onsen is like the most peaceful place you can find a yakuza. If you think about it, you should keep them out of other places, but let them in the onsen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why isn't it at the shopping mall? Why right. is there not a no tattoos sign at the shopping mall? Why doesn't the Eon say that at the checkout? <laughs> yeah. I've also wondered, why don't they put up a sign that says, no yakuza, <laughs> for God's sake. I solved your problem there, didn't I? Lord, beating around the bush with this tattoo nonsense. <laughs> or a sign that says no half fingers. Yeah, exactly. They could go about it so many different ways. But uh, the tattoo thing, it's just, it's yeah. one of those weird things where it's like, at what point do you allow the excuse of culture to stand? And it's like, well, culturally, we just don't do this. And then at what point do you really take a culture to task and say, no, you need to develop your thoughts a little bit on this? Well, never in japan yeah never in japan <laughs> and then when you hear about it coming to a head like with a lawsuit or something it's usually like an 80 year old couple who's running on sin their whole life and never had a problem with this rule and then mm. somebody comes from overseas and throws them for a loop and then you kind of feel sorry for that old old couple um right you know because they were like none the wiser they just oh that's what we do at onsen we say no tattoos and, yeah i feel like it's the same reasoning you give to your like racist great-grandfather or something mm. like oh well he's not gonna change just let him do whatever he wants but at the yeah. same time he's really offensive yeah yeah we should get into our segment today you're not physically present in this segment though you did speak to my sister through the magic of computers um <laughs> you saw her in, in passing but for the actual interview it's just uh, me and my sister, she is a full-on child care professional, and she's got her own kid. And nice. as I've spent time with her over the last couple of months, I've just seen her have the answer to everything, like, in real time. Mm. When she's dealing with her kid, and it's made me envious. So then I thought I would interview her about some of the common questions that we have. So, uh, without further ado, let's listen to old Jessica Riley. Segment interview. <laughs> I'm sitting here with my sister, face to face. We're interviewing, and um, we're in Kentucky, so we're in a barn, of course. <laughs> uh, true story, not a joke. Yeah, uh, we're sitting out in the barn. We're talking to Jesse today because she has worked for 12 years as an assistant teacher in a Head Start childcare center, which is a federally funded childcare program in the United States. In her classroom, she worked with practically newborns down to six weeks uh, up to four years old. So she's got a lot of experience dealing with lots and lots of kids. Um, so let's welcome Jessica Riley. Welcome, my Hello. sister. Hello, thank hey. you. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Um, I've talked about having you as a guest since we started this podcast because you've got all the childcare experience. Yeah. So we're glad to have you here. Thank you. And um, we were talking about this slightly uh, just before recording, but how many children would you say you've worked with who are, you know, between zero to four? Like I said before, how many kids have you spent time with in your job? Um, 
I would say it's so hard to estimate that, but more than a hundred, probably in the hundreds. Yeah. And yeah. to my mind, I mean, you did it for 12 years and it was always that age. Yeah. And so it's like you've raised these, you know, hundred or hundreds of kids yeah. and had so much experience with different like temperaments and different ages within that range mm -hmm. and uh, different techniques as, as to what is going to make it work and what doesn't work. So Mark and I um, collaborated and got some questions together. Uh, one thing that I was curious about, um, you know, since I've been back in Kentucky for a while, well, we've got our son who's nine months old and you've got a daughter and how old is she 16 months 16 months yes. so the cousin's there and then there's a third cousin in the mix who has just turned two years he's two years and a couple of months so uh when these cousins are together they're right in your wheelhouse like that's the age that you worked with mm -hmm. and i don't have any experience with kids those ages interacting right. and so i've seen a lot of conflict that I don't know how to deal with at all. Yeah. So in particular, I mean, basic stuff like one of them's got a toy, the other one wants the toy and takes it out of the first one's hands and things like that. So uh, very broadly, what do you have advice wise for dealing with conflicts between children in that way? So where I worked, they taught us to use, it's called conscious discipline. It teaches the kids to like name their emotions and help them label it. So like if, one kid wanted a toy that another kid had, and he just ran up and took it. Instead of like punishing the kid, you would say, oh, you wanted his toy. You seem angry. Like you would help them label how they're feeling. And then you would tell them what you want them to do, like stop, you cannot do that. And then you would like offer, you can play with this toy or you can go play over here. So you mentioned like labeling the emotion yeah. and you said that you supply that word. Like you would say, you seem angry, yeah. but at a certain point, do you ever try to elicit that out of the child? Like, how are you feeling yeah. or that sort of thing? That's another thing. Um, like we would even have posters that have different faces with all the emotions and you could take them over to the poster and say, how are you feeling right now? And they can point and you can help them label, even if they can't talk yet, like they would point to the face and like at first you want to help them acknowledge what they're feeling so they can like learn, oh, this is how I feel. And then next, the next step is, oh, this is what I need to do next. That's really good if the interaction is just sort of the emotions, you know, expressing themselves mm -hmm. via like angry face or a shout or something. Yeah. But um, what if the kids are really getting tangled up or there's like a tug of war going on? Yeah. Um, what do you do if it has to turn? I mean, it doesn't, I don't mean to say it turns physical, but if you need to be physically involved rather than just have them talk out the, the feeling that way. Yeah. Like sometimes it got to that point, you would just like if a kid became violent and what, whatever you said wasn't working, you would just remove the kid from the situation. And like at work, we had, a, it's called a safe spot or a calm down area where like you could have sensory bottles and soft pillows and books for them to try to get them to just calm down and bring them back down to like a calm state. Mm, yeah. that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I found myself in the situation where I there were two kids and one of them was just yanking the toy out of the other one's hands. Mm -hmm. And um, I 
wanted to re- rectify the situation by getting the toy back to the first kid. Mm-hmm. But then I found myself in a tug of war with the second kid. You know? <laughs> and is yeah. that a situation that you often just happen to find yourself in? Or is that something that I could have done differently and avoided like myself fighting with a two year old? <laughs> I mean, no, it happened a lot. And conscious discipline, it didn't have it didn't work with every child at all. Like mm-hmm. we would try it. And with some kids, it worked perfectly. And with some kids, you just, I mean, you just had to give up on the concept and just lift them and yeah, <laughs> take them away. Yeah, just remove them from the situation <laughs> yeah. before something horrible happens. Yeah. yeah. A- another aspect of this that I've noticed is that up to a certain age, the kids are totally innocent yeah. and just kind of bobbling around. And, um, you know, so say a kid may be up to a year, a bit less than a year or something, maybe even older than a year, I'm not sure. But then when a kid passes into two, three, four years old, Mm -hmm. then they start to do things that are motivated out of like jealousy or anger or something. Yeah. And they'll act out or, you know, try to get back at another kid for some like, oh, I took my toy and I'm going to get back at him. Yeah. And so something I've noticed, I don't know if there's an easy answer for this, but I've noticed you end up scolding the older kid constantly. Yeah. And then it's the younger kid who's always innocent. And then I feel in my heart like a huge imbalance between those two. Like you're always just busting the older kid and the younger kid is getting off scot-free with everything, which the younger kid should because he doesn't have any intentionality with anything. Yeah. So um, do you ever do anything to consciously like... Uh, speak in a certain way or just to make the older kid not feel so bad or do you just have to discipline the older kid all the time that way um I think we tried to like give the older kid in this instance we would try to give them more one-on-one time because a lot of times the older kids would get jealous because the babies and younger kids needed more attention so they would act out just to get any kind of attention from us so like maybe just do special activities with the older kids make sure they're getting attention that they need and sometimes it helped sometimes nothing you did help yeah (laughs) yeah it just depends yeah I should have said this earlier but um just being around you Jesse my sister in these (laughs) last few months uh and all of your experience uh with child rearing basically over those 12 years of doing it professionally Mm -hmm. it's like your actions and your ideas were so much better than my actions and my ideas (laughs) And I was just like, that's amazing. And it it happened so many times. But uh, the first one I remember was you always seem to have a toy ready to go in your back (laughs) pocket or in your other hand because you knew that your child was going to grab something they shouldn't grab or need to give something up. And then you've got the toy ready to go just to exchange. And I was always empty handed and then just needing to pull things out of my kid's (laughs) hands. And then he gets uh, emotional about that. But if you can do the switcheroo, you probably bought yourself like a whole year of the kid's life of oh, yeah. just easy transitions like that. Yeah. The second one was, and this is a wild thing, but if you take a banana and you want to feed it to a little baby, the banana is actually pretty thick. It's like the size of the baby's mouth and it's like terrifying that they're going to choke <laughs> on it. But you pointed out that if you take a banana and shove your finger into it from the top, yeah. like not to the side, but like head on into a banana, the banana naturally splits into thirds, like into long strips of thirds of a banana. Mm -hmm. And then that's so much easier to grab for the kid. And it's so much of a load off on the parent's side because you don't have to worry about them choking as much. And so we've done that ever since you said like, yeah, just push your finger in the top of the banana, you get (laughs) banana thirds. I'd never heard of that before. And then the third one, we were outside at a Christmas parade last weekend and it was right at freezing temperature. 
and uh, we neglected to bring any gloves or mittens for our son. And I said that, and you said, just put socks on his hands. <laughs> and you had socks like in your pocket ready to go. <laughs> so you gave me some baby socks, yeah. put the socks on his hands, and it was definitely better than nothing. And <laughs> yeah. We also had them wrapped in my wife's jacket. so But that saved him because he had cold hands a couple of days before mm-hmm. when we didn't have any gloves. But it's just all these little tips and ideas that would totally escape me. And mm-hmm. then you've got them at the ready all the time. Yeah. So I feel like you're a massive professional. Well, I've been doing this since I graduated high school. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's just, it's been really convenient with raising my own child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I imagine so. Learning all these skills. Yeah. And not to go off on a tangent, but we'll get back to the questions in a second. But your child is really, really fast on the uptake for everything. Mm-hmm. Like walking fast. And I think memorizing things very quickly mm-hmm. um, and your daughter seems to have all of the skills months ahead of time. Yeah. And um, do you think that that's been something that you've done in particular things that you've focused on or do you think it's just how she's wired? I think it's a mix of both mm-hmm. because, you know, our mom, she said when I was a baby, I like crawled fast, walked fast. So I think she gets part of it just naturally mm-hmm. but I know just like from the day she was born it, it's it been ingrained in my mind like what am I supposed to be doing with her like every day I'm like I need to talk to her constantly just uh-huh. I don't know I feel like my job and my experience has really helped with how fast she's learning and grasping a lot of things yeah that's yeah. good because you've certainly got all the tricks up your sleeve to uh, make things easier for her but mm-hmm. then from the educational perspective, in any sort of education, there's this spectrum of on one end, it's uh, being a risk taker. And mm-hmm. then on the other end of the spectrum is being more introverted or introspective. Mm-hmm. And so the idea in a classroom setting when you're dealing with older kids in school is that your ideal student is somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. Because if the kid is fully introspective, they may read the book every night and they may study it but they'll never ask a question in class. They'll never work well with their partner because they're not like going to put themselves out there too much. So they're missing that element of the classroom experience. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if the kid is too much of a risk taker, then the kid is always just speaking and always maybe their hands going up all the time, but they're never letting it sink in in that introspective way. Mm -hmm. And so you want a kid in school to be sort of a mixture in the middle of that spectrum somewhere, possibly a little bit more to the risk taker side is, is helpful in education. But I think that for a baby, you want the baby by the baby's, you know, natural disposition to be almost fully risk taker because there's no introspection that a baby can do. So you don't want a baby just to sit and chill. You want a baby to like get out there and do things because the things the baby has to learn is how to take steps and stand up and all this. And that's all very experiential. Mm -hmm. You just have to have the sort of braveness to, um, to be able to do it. Yeah. And your daughter is full risk taker. Oh, yeah. Like she'll <laughs> climb anything. She's I mean, she's not scared of anything. Yeah. She has absolutely no fear yeah. in a way that I haven't really seen in a kid before. Yeah. And I know you when you were that age. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think you were at the same level. I mean, you were certainly cut from the same cloth, but I've never seen a baby like your baby. Yeah. Uh, so just the way she naturally comes to it is probably the best case scenario. And then you're also, you know, supplying her with a lot of tips and tricks or you're just doing the things that are the tips and tricks naturally. Yeah. So that kind of um, leads into a question that we had. 
we had a question about educational toys. Speaking oh, yeah. of, um, you know, getting your kid to um, to learn things and develop. Mark asked the question, okay. what are the best educational toys for nine months to one year? And before we get into it, I want to preemptively ask, do you think that educational toys themselves are really worth it? Like, are they doing anything or are there certain features that are beneficial, some that are not beneficial? And would a kid just, you know, naturally learn with any old toy because kids are learning so much anyway? I think, yes, they are very important. But also you could use like household items. Like it doesn't have to be an expensive toy. Like a ring stacker, for example, Mm -hmm. you could just get like a paper towel holder and some bracelets and it's the same skill fine motor skills, you know, so you don't have to spend a whole lot of money on flashy, expensive educational toys. I mean, a kid would probably learn the same if you just let them explore household items and be creative. So then do you have some uh, educational toys uh, yourself that you recommend or certain types? Um, yeah, like fine motor skills, I know are very important at that age. So For one, the ring stacker, a shape sorter, nesting cups will help the kid to build their fine motor skills. And also cause and effect toys. So toys like if you push a button and it makes music, they learn they want to keep pushing that button. And then like if you have a car that goes down a ramp, they'll learn, oh, if I put a car up here, they'll go down. And even blocks like, you know, babies that age probably can't stack blocks yet, but you as the parent you can stack the blocks and then they knock it down and they learn oh you stack the blocks and then I can make them fall down and that's how they learn cause and effect and also gross motor toys are pretty important um, when learning to walk so that's usually around closer to one maybe a little older about gross motor toys there's fine motor and gross motor Mm -hmm. and what's the difference fine motor is like dealing with your hands like again the ring stacker or putting a shape in the shape sorter. And then gross motor is like outdoor play, learning to walk, crawling, and running, and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have to invest in all the high-end toys, but no. just be aware of the concepts yeah. that the toys are trying to impart to the kid. Mm-hmm. And if you can think of another way to do it, then that's just as good. Yeah, just encourage the kid to develop those skills. Do you have like... Uh, off the top of your head, a particular brand or even if it's just one toy, like by name that you really like? Um, Like where I worked, we ordered a lot of Fisher-Price, Lakeshore, Melissa and Doug. Those are some of the like higher end toys, I think. Cool. Well, let's get back into the questions. Uh, this is another Mark question. How long should you use a rear facing car seat for a child? I know back in the day, they I think they used to say like one year, but now they say children should rear face until at least two years old and longer if possible. And two years old is really the bare minimum. So whenever I had my baby, I, I joined the car seat safety group on Facebook just to research. And they said it's best to buy a car seat that you can rear face for as long as possible. And I think my car seat can be used rear-facing until she's 49 inches or 50 pounds. Mm. So she may be like five or six years old and still rear-facing. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. 
that's a long, long time. And then mm-hmm. what's the uh, logic behind rear facing? Um, I can't remember where I read this, but it said young children's vertebrae are connected with cartilage rather than ossified bone like adults and older kids. Mm-hmm. So if they were to get in a wreck, it would do a lot more damage. Mm-hmm. Oh, and research has shown that rear facing reduces serious injuries by 92%. And it's really scary to think about, but like younger kids, if they're not rear facing, they have a higher chance of being internally decapitated. Yeah. Oh, internally. So like the neck snaps sort of because it's just softer cartilage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Freaked me out when I read that. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And that has to do with uh, head on collision Mm -hmm. uh, with your car hitting something. Yeah, I believe Uh, so. Okay. Mark and I talked about this once and I was thinking like, what about when somebody hits you from behind? Yeah. I've thought about that too. Um, There was some kind of percentage that it's it's a majority of yeah. times that you'll hit something yes. head on. Yeah, uh, That's what crossed my mind because I thought about it and I was like, well, somebody could hit you from behind or you could hit someone else. Yeah. And then I thought like, well, what about every stationary object? Like the telephone pole is never going to hit you from behind. <laughs> a building will never hit you from behind. You yeah. would just run into those. And if you run off the road by accident, you're going to, you know, you know, maybe crash into a ditch or something. That'll mm-hmm. be head on. Yeah. And then say... The car-on-car accidents would be 50-50, but with all accidents totaled, it must be quite a minority that you get hit from the back. So that makes sense to rear face for as long as possible. Yeah. Next question. This is another Mark question. Uh, This is very specific to Mark. What are the causes for a seven-month-old to have diarrhea for a week? Mark says he tried changing foods to more basic stuff, and they went to the doctor. The doctor says nothing is wrong. But we're going to go over this doctor's head. We're talking to (laughs) Jessica Riley here. Uh, What has been your experience dealing with all those kids? Oh, yeah. We saw a lot of sicknesses. Um, I mean, if they ruled out a virus, that would be my first thought is it was just a virus. Like I've heard diarrhea can be normal up to two weeks even. but, Mm. But also, I don't know if the baby's breastfed or formula fed, but it could be an allergy or intolerance like even if the mom is eating dairy and the baby has a dairy intolerance the baby can get an upset stomach from the mom's milk and would that sort of uh, allergy or intolerance just like be onset as late as seven months um i've heard it usually starts maybe by two months old but then I've also heard it can show up later or like there were symptoms and you didn't notice. And then like the symptoms change. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, we've had a little bit of experience with that with Nico. He's had some, uh, outbreaks on his legs and on his stomach of just these little sort of dots that turn mm-hmm. into scabs within a couple of days yeah. and then eventually they go away. And I think they itch slightly, but, um, it doesn't seem to bother them mm-hmm. 99% of the time. So yeah. we haven't really looked into it. We've just been sure to, you know, keep him clean and washed and uh, change his diaper frequently and that sort of thing. But um, it was weird because he was six to seven months old yeah. and we had never seen these before. And then they just came and now they've gone. So mm-hmm. it was like a one or two month battle. But yeah, yeah it's strange. The little ailments that pop up. Yeah. Uh, seemingly out of nowhere. Yeah. So 
you think that there may be some mysterious cause, like a slight change in even the mother's diet or slight yeah. change in the baby's diet or something. Yeah, there could be. And I know, um, like, you can get allergy tests, but, like, if the baby has an intolerance, I've heard that that may not show up on an allergy test. Oh, okay. Like, they may not be allergic to dairy, but they could just be intolerant, mm. and it won't show up on any tests. Okay. Tricky business. Yes. I think those are all of the pre-scripted questions that we had, okay. but we have uh, a little bonus segment here. It's called <laughs> Pieces of Advice from Jesse. So uh, I asked my sister to come up with like maybe five uh, tips or tricks or pieces of advice um, in child rearing. Mm-hmm. So take it away, J-Train. All right. One thing, like the main thing I feel like I learned working with kids for so long is to talk, read, and sing a lot, like all day, even when they're newborns. And just while you're doing laundry, say, I'm putting the laundry in the dryer. I washed our clothes and now they're clean. Or just like explain everyday tasks while you're doing them. And it helps them develop their language quicker. And it helps them like understand everyday tasks and the uses for things. And also read to them every day, like at least one book a day, but definitely more if you can. Second thing is start teaching simple sign language early, probably around six months old, you could start. We did this where I worked. As soon as the babies could start to attempt to feed themselves, we would say, do you want more? And do the sign language for more. And then we'd teach them, like, all done, eat, thirsty, please and thank you. And uh, this, as they get older, they'll be able to communicate their needs and wants better when they're, say, they're, like, one or one and a half, and they want something to eat, but they don't have the words to say it yet. They might be able to sign to you that they're hungry, and then instead of just crying, you can help meet their need. This helps them not be as frustrated if they can express themselves and research shows that it improves cognitive and emotional development. Mark and I are trying the baby sign language too, and I think the big takeaway for me with baby sign language is it sounds like an overambitious parent who's like, <laughs> I'm going to have a baby genius. He's going to learn sign language. But it's totally not that. It's yeah. just I don't want my kid to cry in frustration exactly. for like a whole year of their life when they could be kind of explaining things to me yeah. and communicating clearly. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah. It's yeah. like easier on the kid. It's easier on you. It's just less crying and less, uh, you know, emotional fits and stuff. Yeah. So it makes total sense to do it. Yeah. And your daughter is wild with sign language. Yeah. You told me the story that she'll pick up sign language that you didn't even know. Yeah. Like, I'll be like, what is she doing? Did she just make that up? And then later on, like a few weeks later, I'll be like, oh, that's what she was yeah. trying to tell me. Yeah. And she so. had picked it up from like a YouTube sign <laughs> yeah. language show or something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the kids are sponges and yeah. they're, um, they can sign away. Yeah, definitely. So another tip is to try to have a set routine every day, but also be flexible. When I worked in childcare, we would have a daily schedule poster made up and the kids would know what was expected every day when they came in. Um, And I learned that children thrive on routines so they can just prepare themselves and know what to expect throughout the day. And also bedtime routines are really important 
Um, you should try to be consistent, but expect the routine to change because growth spurts and sleep regressions will screw it all up. <laughs> so you'll have to make a lot of changes with bedtime routines, in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any uh, suggested bedtime, or is that down to the family? Um, it's really down to each individual family. I've read that around 7.30 is usually the norm. But, I mean, everybody's work schedules are different, so it just depends with each family, I feel like. Another thing, which is really simple, is childproof your house when your baby, like even before your baby becomes mobile, which, I mean, a lot of people may not think about it. Like, I thought I had a lot more time to get our house childproofed, mm -hmm. but Scarlett started crawling around seven months, I think. So, just some tips of what you should childproof or cover your outlets. Try to keep your baby away from furniture with sharp corners. And if you can't, you can buy things like on Amazon to cover sharp corners of your furniture. Try to clean your floors regularly several times a day to make sure there are no choking hazards. Put child locks on your cabinets, cover cords on your walls, and mount heavy furniture to walls that may tip over. Like where I worked, we were super big about safety. Like that's one of the main concerns we had. And like licensing would come in to make sure we were up to date on all the hmm. childproofing and everything. So yeah. yeah, I learned a lot from that too. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. In Japan, it's so earthquake prone that um, like in my office, for example, every piece of furniture has to be bolted to the wall oh, yeah. by the staff uh, who works on that sort of thing mm -hmm. on the college campus. And then I think that um, trickles down into people's homes. They tend to bolt things, but, you know, sometimes it's just inconvenient and you don't have something uh, yeah. screwed down to the wall where it should be. So yeah. that's something to be mindful of for sure. Yeah. So the last thing that I found pretty helpful with most kids is conscious discipline, which we were talking about earlier. With most kids, it helped to resolve conflicts and also... A big thing is it helps adults keep composure also. I feel like before I learned about conscious discipline, I would get more frustrated easily when I tried to like break up a fight between kids. But with conscious discipline, it's like you have to think, oh, this is just a kid. They just feel frustrated. And then, of course, you acknowledge what they're feeling and everything. And then it helps you to get down to their level and then you can better understand like what's going on in their head mm. yeah that's good conscious disciplining um is that a buzzword within your office or is that broader like in kids books and stuff there's so much like i think they have a website like hundreds of pages and pages like we had trainings that we had to go through hours and hours about conscious discipline it's like you're offering empathy when a child is upset instead of punishment. And it sounds like um, it's meant to take the adult out of the emotional response. Yeah, exactly. Um, because a lot of times, like my personal opinion, I think a lot of times spanking, for example, is an emotional response mm -hmm. that's really an outlet for the adult yeah. as opposed to actually helping the kid with yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. So conscious disciplining sounds like, you know, take a breath handle it sort of intellectually, mentally, and mm -hmm. emotionally rather than 
letting your own emotions out of the bag and, yeah. you know, kind of responding in yeah. an instinctual way, I guess. Yeah, that's what they taught us is like punishment is for the adult and what you think the child should learn from it. But it's like you want the child to know there's consequences, but punishments aren't needed. They can learn consequences and learn how to regulate their emotions better through conscious discipline. Well, that's cool. That's something to um, look up. Yeah, definitely research it. There's a lot that goes into it. Well, I think that draws it to a close. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jessica, (laughs) it's been, you know, it's been three decades. (laughs) And now we're finally sitting down for the big interview. (laughs) It only took three decades. It only took three decades. But here we are. I appreciate it. And like I said, you're a total professional. I mean, anytime you've got a decade into any job, you're going to know it like the back of your hand. And um, you certainly do. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Later. Bye. Well, I have no idea how that went, but thank you for the interview. (laughs) That was the sincerest thank you that Mark could muster. my sister yeah it was good i'm always amazed at how much she knows and Mm. you should see her in action just stop by her house someday and watch her in action it's amazing to see her parenting skills but we have other things to get to today yes first of which is japanese of the day japanese of the day is a simple one um it's the word Wanage, 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 and uh, wanage means ring toss, hmm. like uh, the game that kids play where you throw a ring around a little stick or something. Hmm. Um, the reason that it's come up is because uh, we have been playing with that classic ring stacking toy, you know, sort of oh, rainbow yeah. colored, like the hmm. the yellow post or yeah, whatever. I was just looking at those. Yeah, and it's hands down very easily my son's favorite toy. Um, he more likes to dump the rings and then just play with the rings. Mm. But recently we've been trying to get him to stack them. And my wife has, you know, will kind of lightly throw the ring onto the thing. And my wife says, Wanage. So <laughs> that's a, uh, a word that I just learned. Nice. And we can push right along into my question for you is, or should I say, McQuiffy. <laughs> Here's my McQuiffy for you. Okay. I'm ready. Imagine your kid, Coda, himself, is famous for something. You know, a couple of decades have gone by, two, three, four decades have gone by, and he's famous. Hmm. If you had to place a bet today on the thing that he will be famous for, what do you think the thing will be? I would have to go with, like, some sort of, like, movie star or... TV personality. The dude shines when you point a camera at him. Oh, really? He's just naturally, he naturally just starts smiling. He knows where to look. He gets mm-hmm. on his cues right away. Like, you don't have to, like, direct this kid very much. He's just, he's just there. He does it, and he's great at it. So I think if, if he becomes famous, it would be for one of those. All right. He, he soaks up the limelight. Yeah, I think so. What about you? thought about this for Nico. He is obviously going to have the language skills, uh, English and Japanese, and he's already very vocal. He's always been very vocal. So Mm. I feel like he wants to talk. And 
I think, you know, as an English teacher myself, I'm sure we'll be working on things like that, or I'll be making him read things like mm. bits of classic literature and whatnot. And he's going to be like very eloquent. Club. Yeah, he'll be reading <laughs> Fight Club over and over. Uh, he'll be the Tyler Durden to my Jack. Uh, anyway, I think uh, he's going to get into, if he's going to be famous, it's going to be something in like the, let's say, Ban Ki-moon, not to set the bar way, way too high. I'm not saying Nico's going to be the Secretary General of the United Nations, but I think, um, you know, he might have hmm. a little bit of felicity with the language on both sides. And then he's a big talker, so he might get into the, I don't know, negotiating something, translating something, or just uh, working between two, you know, two sides on something, the Japanese side and the, the Western hmm. side. So you see like mediation in his future. Something like that, or maybe he brokers something. High level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, and, you know, in my heart, I wanted to say basketball or chess, but then I tried to really think about it, not just things <laughs> that I like, but... He's got language skill and he likes to talk. And then I feel like we'll always be, you know, putting stuff in front of him that'll challenge mm. him sort of academic wise. And then maybe he'll get into that, that sort of business. I'm not sure. Mm. Cut to 25 years in the future. Prison. <laughs> <laughs> He's famous for prison. He's famous for prison. <laughs> the most prison. Nico. <laughs> He's been to them all. He's been to them all. <laughs> It's, he's the he's the run Ronnie run <laughs> bilingual kids. If I may reference my twenty five year old movies that nobody saw. Uh, anyway, go watch Run Ronnie Run. Everybody enjoy that <laughs> A recommendation. We can cram in some dad jokes as usual. Let's do it. All right, I have two today. I've got two. Do you want to start us off? You told me before you have some real zingers coming. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're funny, but they're next level for me. Um, okay. I don't, I don't think I've ever done anything this good before in its way. Um, okay. First of all, this one's tailored to you. This is a oh. Star Wars dad joke. Oh, okay. I've never done. Um, and I, I really <laughs> liked it. Okay. Jar Jar Binks had a famous cousin who was a writer. What was his name? I got no idea. George Orwell. <laughs> that's okay, that's funny. pretty good. George R. Binks, George Orwell. You never think about his name that way until you say it next <laughs> to George R. Binks. Yeah. And now I, now I can't unsee it. <laughs> yeah. Well, George Or. George Or. That's what his friends called him. All right. What has five toes but isn't your foot? Uh, your toe sock? My foot. Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a better answer. And that, um, this is a dad joke that is not on the record. Okay. This is not official canonical dad joke, but it's one that I passed by. And, and your dad joke reminds me of it. But it's like, uh, you know how a diver always sits on the edge of the boat and then like leans backwards and like, mm. falls backward into the water. And then why does he do that? Because if he went forward, he'd fall into the boat. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Anyway. um, Oh, now now I'm on deck for my actual dad joke. Okay. Yeah. I like this one. This is kind of like a ultimate dad joke, like an all time capper of dad jokes. Mm. Um, It says, 
I don't often tell dad jokes, but when I do, he laughs. <laughs> nice. It's, it's better to read. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Last one. This isn't a question answer one. Okay. Eating too much cake is the sin of gluttony. However, eating too much pie is okay because the sin of pie is zero. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Wow, that's good. That's I thought good. it was timely because of Thanksgiving and the holiday eating. So yeah, and it, it checks out mathematically. Does it? I have no idea. I'm going back <laughs> over my unit circle, and uh, yeah, <laughs> sign of pi zero, baby, nailed it. Well, I think that uh, that about does us for today, doesn't it? That will do it. Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at the jpops.com. Talk to you next time. Georgia time. <laughs>